I want to thank you folks again for the great attitude you've displayed this year. I hope you realize that the pandemic is historic and someday you will tell your children about 2020, 2021, what it was like during that time. I hope you get some pictures with the mask on. You say, we had to wear these for a long time. And uh, I, like you, am looking forward to that being done with. But uh, you know what? God knew, and uh, he allowed us to go through this time. I think it's a time of growth and a time there where he wants us to go forward for him. I hope that your semester is off to a good start. I hope that uh, things are going well. We pray for you daily as far as provision, whether it's spiritual, whether it's financial, whether it's uh, emotional. We pray that God will provide your needs and take care of you. And we have no doubt that God has a great desire to use you. I cannot tell you how many people want West Coast Baptist College students to come and work with them. Uh, literally, I think we have about 12 or 13 churches. I had another email from Faith Baptist Tabernacle where you've been just about a month ago asking for an intern. I said, well, that's the 13th church looking for an intern this summer. And uh, it's they want folks from here who come and work hard and be a soul winner. And of course, especially as far as their staff is concerned, that's just uh, a great thing to continually remind yourself of that there is a position for you and a place for you where God could use you. Uh, he's looking for laborers for the harvest field. That's the theme of our ministry. When I came here, I named the yearbook The Harvester uh, because that's what it's about. That's what we're supposed to be about. And let me just put a plug in for Joshua Camp. I've heard from so many young people how Joshua Camp was a life-changing event for them. And if you have an opportunity to be a counselor for one or two weeks, I think you'll be very thankful. The speakers that are there, it's just a great thing. I love Brother Shetler. I prayed for him to come here for about four or five years. And uh, just about everything he ever says, I agree with. But I'll never forget when he talked about having camp at West Coast Baptist College in the summer. I said, that is the stupidest idea I have ever heard. For those of you who are not here this summer, it's like 107 degrees. And I know it's dry heat, but that's like being cooked in a convection oven, okay? So we have no lake here. We have no pool here. They're going to come here to the sand for camp. And I believe the last Joshua camp's two weeks, well over 600 students. And by the way, uh, that's why it's great to have vision for things. And I hope that God will give you vision for things. And people may laugh at it at first. I didn't laugh outwardly. But people could be wrong, and you go forward with the vision that God puts on your heart. And now, years later, literally several thousand young people have been impacted by that, and that's a great thing. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Joshua. One of the great books of the Bible, they're all great books, but one of my favorite books of the Bible, Joshua chapter number 17. Joshua chapter number 17. To set the stage for this, uh, we are all familiar with the fact that Joseph was called by God through very difficult circumstances to leave family, friends, and everything that he knew and to go to the land of Egypt. Satan meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And of course, he was there to provide for his family and to save, really, uh, his family. Uh, amazing story. Uh, we heard a little bit about that recently in a message. Well. Things went well. They moved to the land of Goshen, which is there in Egypt. They became shepherds there. But the Bible says that there came a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And when that happened, no longer were they in a place of favoritism. They became servants, or if you will, slaves. And what had been a good situation for a period of time, 
it ended up being a horrible, horrible situation. And they prayed for deliverance. They wanted out. The Pharaohs made it more and more difficult upon them. But God never abandoned them. He knew where they were at. And then God sent a deliverer. His name was Moses. And Moses led them into what was called the Exodus. Things did not go entirely as God had planned during the Exodus. I think I have a slide of the wilderness journey, some 40 years in the wilderness. An amazing thing that in 40 years, if we have it, it's great. If not, that's fine. They traipsed across the desert, stopping again and again and again because they could only go forward when God allowed them to go forward. We know that they followed a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But oftentimes, God's Shekinah glory would just stop. And they would have to stay in that one spot until God would move them forward. By the way, it's always a good place to stay where you're at until God moves you forward, until he brings you forward. Well, the 40 years finished, and they came, of course, to the promised land. The land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey. And we know that those who had complained in the desert, and God hates murmuring complaining, it runs quite contrary to God's spirit for us that we are to in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God did not allow those who were of age to go into the promised land, except for just a few men who had faith, who believed God, that despite the difficult-looking circumstance, they believed God was greater and God could provide for them. Well, that's where we pick up here in Joshua 17. Look with me, if you will, beginning in verse number 12. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in the land. Let me stop and say this. They couldn't drive them out because they didn't want to try to drive them out. God had said, I will drive them out before you. But they became content where they were on the other side of the Jordan. They said, this is good enough for us. We'll even come in and we'll help fight with you, but we're good here. We don't want to go all the way in. Can I say this morning, sitting in your chair is one person, but there's three people. The person that you are today and the person that you could be for good to go forward for the cause of Christ or the person who would go the other direction away from the calling of God in your life. Choose you this day whom you will serve, Joshua said. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Which direction will you go? I wrote a former student this week. He's in prison. I told my secretary, he's in for a long time. He gets paid 42 cents an hour. He told me very succinctly in a letter, I believe I gave Dr. Getch a copy, he said, I just got the wrong friends. He said, I started doing things I knew I shouldn't do. I've written three times. He asked me to forgive. I said, absolutely, I forgive you. I said, forget those things that you past. Look forward to those things. I said, God can still use you there. But I wonder what he could have been. By the way, his father's a pastor. I've talked to him in the last month. I wonder what he should have been doing. Now, that's a very unusual situation. Very unusual. But what you are today, what you could be for God, or what you could be for the things that are not for God. 
Continuing on with the text here. Yet it came to pass when the children of Israel were waxen strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. Incredible statement there. And the children of jo Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit? Uh, this is an amazing statement. Seeing I am a great people, for as much as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto. And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country, and cut down for thyself there in the land of the Perizzites and of the giants, if Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. And the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us, that all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of valley have chariots of iron, both they who are of Bethshead and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke, spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people, and hast great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood. Thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine. For thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I ask for your help again. I really believe that this is what you wanted me to speak on today, and I pray that we will see the things that caused the fall of Manasseh, that stopped them from receiving what God intended for them to get. They are not new things for us to hear about, but we need to be reminded to be on guard against these things because they can stop us from doing what you'd have us to do, from being what you'd have us to be, and from pleasing you. Lord, I acknowledge in front of faculty and friends and students that I need your help in this as in all other things. I pray that I'll say that which I ought and avert something that I should not say. And I pray that we might be a little bit stronger and a little better equipped to be the Christians you saved us to be for having been here in chapel this morning. Lord, I thank you for West Coast Baptist College. I thank you for the privilege that's been mine to be here for 24 years now. And Lord, I pray that you will bless in this chapel hour today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why did Manasseh fail to claim their inheritance? What happened? What went wrong? With a vehicle, when a vehicle breaks down, we say, what went wrong? Is it out of gas? Does the battery go down? The alternator stopped? The starter broke break on it. When there's problems in a marriage, we say, what went wrong? We ask the question. And I think we are wise to look inwardly. As the psalmist said, Lord, search me, try me, see if there be any wicked way in me. Is there something there that will cause a breakdown? Is there something there that would stop God from blessing us, by the way, the way he wants to bless us? We know that it's our sin that separates us from God. But God wants to use us. So what happened here with Manassas? There's two simple things I want to really point out this morning, and I hope that they'll be seared in your mind and you remember them. The first thing we see is incomplete obedience. Incomplete obedience. This will always stop you from being what God would have you to be. Always. Is your all of the altar of sacrifice laid? Does your all the spirit control? I think if we're honest, many of us would say, well, sometimes. 
We remember a time, maybe at a camp, maybe at a revival, where we said, Lord, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. But do we give him everything all the time? It's difficult to do. By the way, that's why it's so critical that we crucify the flesh daily. Because I know this, my flesh will come and say, this is what the flesh wants to do. This is where the flesh wants to go. We have to be on guard. It says in verses 12 and 13, a very interesting statement. It says, they did not utterly drive them out. The word utterly there means completely or totally. Do we have total obedience in our life? As I was listening to the message last night, I had gone through and cleared the halls and told people who were on their phones they had to come in and hear Dr. Getch. I sent some other people in. I sat in the back. As I sat in the back, there's three girls that were right in front of me. I know the name of one of them. I've helped her some for the needy student fund. She was writing voraciously during the entire message. Dr. Getch, you'll be glad to know, she took great notes on everything you said. That was a blessing to me. She was doing exactly what she was supposed to be doing. There were two other girls there. I do not know the name of the young lady, but one girl spent a long time redoing her hair during the message. She made a braid, brought it back, redid this, a lengthy period of time. I don't know what the other girl was doing. She was writing, I don't know what she was writing. Obedience. I have no doubt that some people have been on their phone in chapel today. I don't know who you are, but obedience. Can I say this? Sometimes it's obedience for very little things. I gave 10 demerits to a boy yesterday. I didn't want to, I like him. But he's wearing tennis shoes and no tie. And the rule here at West Coast Baptist College, you're not supposed to wear tennis shoes to class, you're supposed to wear a tie. Do we all understand that? By the way, I saw him on Monday, he had tennis shoes and no tie on. I was able to grab that day. There was Wednesday with the same thing. The little things. The little foxes spoil the vine. Are we obeying? I mentioned this yesterday. All 135 or 140 of you who work for the call program, did you tithe? That may sound like a little thing. Are we really going soul winning? Well, we went out. Was it to make some visits and hand out tracks or to go to sugary or spud nuts? Obedience. Patch the Pirate, Ron Hamilton, wrote a song many years ago. I will obey the first time I'm told. I will obey right away. Never with a sigh, never asking why. I will obey right away. God wants his children to obey him. God had commanded them to do something so they could have total victory. One of the greatest generals in American history was a man by the name of Douglas MacArthur. I believe he may have gotten saved near the end of his life. I certainly hope that was the case. He said this statement, there's a book about him called American Caesar, written by William Manchester. He said, it in war, there is no substitute for victory. Can I say this? In the Christian life, there's no substitute for victory. It's so much better. We were talking about in the back room some great meetings we'd been in, when God's doing work. It's just a blessing to be a part of that. Brother Shetler said, I've been in a couple chapel services where God just did a work. There's something special there. 
And we know when God is working in us and through us. Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. We know at the end of the day if we've done His good pleasure. Are we pleasing Him? 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. By the way, that's a command. To live to His glory. Manasseh was willing to let a few of the Canaanites stay there. These Canaanites were later to cause great problems. And that's an understatement. What are we allowing to stay in our life that may later cause a great problem? I went to a college where they would come and do car checks. They would check the, back of the day, cassette tapes of the car. We don't do that. Oh, we can't mandate morality. What do we allow to stay in our phone? What pictures? What things do we have back at home, whether it's a book, a CD, a magazine, that we need to remove and do what Jacob did with his wife's idols and bury it because that's the place for sin? A pastor named Dr. B.J. Miller once said this. He said, it's a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is. Listen now than to face the responsibilities of not doing it. I want to read that one more time. It is a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is, than to face the responsibilities of not doing it. I know college is a difficult time. You have less time that you want to have to spend on yourself, less money to spend on yourself. You read less books that you want to read, because all the stuff we make you read. But this too shall pass. There's a time to pay the price. So what happened? First of all, the Canaanites, the Bible says the Canaanites, they favored. They wanted to use them. How did they use them? Verse 13, it says this, they put them to tribute. Let me explain tribute. They said, let's leave them in the land and we can tax them. This will be a source of income. How great is that? I mean, Dave Ramsey says you could have multiple streams of income. That'll help you. So we'll have the milk and honey from God, and we'll have income coming in for the Canaanites. This will be great. The only problem was they were told to utterly remove them. And they didn't obey. I read a story some years ago about a family in Texas. And somehow they were given a little lion cub. It was so cute. They would literally feed it at the same time they ate meals. They put his food on the floor. It was just cute. People would come and see it. But that little lion cub grew. About two years later, they had a little baby boy. This little baby boy was the joy and delight of their life. They loved that baby. And one day, they were outside working in the yard. They heard blood-curdling screams from inside. Of course, they rushed to the house. They ran into the baby's room, and there was the lion cub now two years of age, weighing over 100 pounds. And there was the little baby boy screaming. And they saw that that little lion cub had bitten off several of the baby's fingers and swallowed them. The parents could not tame a wild animal. 
be on guard about the things that you think you can tame in your life. It's just a little thing. The flesh says, I can handle this. That's what Manasseh thought. Uh, the flesh says, this isn't hurting anyone else. That's what Manasseh thought. And every slave to porn, to gambling, to alcohol, to drugs said, I can handle this. I don't remember the name. I wasn't familiar with the mother, but someone who's some type of personality had her 16-year-old son, 16 years of age, die from an overdose this week. Fentanyl. He acquired it through connection on Instagram. 16. And she was saying, parents, be careful what your children are involved with on Instagram. But for who it was too late. Let's obey. Some years ago, there was a man who wrote a book called Walk Across America. His name was Peter Jenkins. Jenkins was asked after he was born again man, he was asked after completing this journey, he said, what was the hardest thing? Was the hard thing traipsing through the deserts of the Southwest? He said, no. They said, was it crossing the Rockies, having to go with these long inclines? Heading uphill, he said, no. He said, the thing that made me want to quit more than anything else was the sand getting in my shoes. I'm going, sand? I mean, stop, take off your shoes. He said, it was just hard to sit down on the ground, take the shoes off, shake the sand, put them back on, and get back up again. So he would leave the sand there, and it would grate in his shoes. If we have something in our life we need to remove, we just need to get it out. Get it out. Ask God to help us, Lord. Please remove this from my life. It could be any one of a hundred different things. It might be improper language. It might be a temper problem. It might be covetousness. But that sand will wear things away. I think sometimes we are deceived by the tempter. Never forget that Satan is a deceiver. He's the father of lies. There was a great radio broadcaster years ago. He's passed away. Now his name was Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey had a program, but he would always finish it with a story. He would call it the rest of the story. It was kind of like O. Henry. It would have often a twist at the end. You can get, I think there's two volumes of books called the rest of the story and more of the rest of the story. There's some pretty amazing stories and illustrations. But I remember one particularly and it kind of dealt with the areas up in Alaska that Jack London liked to write about and call the wild and to build a fire. And there he told the story of how they would get rid of wolves and how the Eskimo hunters would take a very sharp bowie knife and they would dip it in blood. They would let it freeze. They would dip it in blood and let it freeze and dip it in blood until it had many coats of blood on it. Then they would take it out in the snow and put the haft or the butt of the knife in the snow, pack snow around it, they pour water around it so it's literally frozen in place. 
the wolves with their keen sense of smell would smell that blood. They would come and there'd be no humans around. They'd begin to lick it. And the warm tongue in that blood would melt that blood and they'd lick it some more. And being carnivorous, meat eaters, they loved the taste of blood, they'd lick it some more. And before they knew it, they didn't realize the blood they were drinking was their own blood as they would slice their own tongues, their own mouth to pieces. But the fewer to get that, they would keep licking. Be careful regarding the things that Satan says, well, just take a little lick of this, it'll taste good to you. Not knowing that it could be a seed of destruction. When I read that story, I thought about that. It seems so innocuous, so safe. That was certainly not the case. But secondly, it says this, it says the Canaanites, they feared. They had chariots of iron. Chariots were the tanks of this day and time. Pharaoh had chariots, and they've actually found chariot wheels at the bottom of the Red Sea. Remember Pastor Sandio gave me a book of that was fascinating. People have gone down to look at them because some of those wheels were bejeweled and covered with gold. Maybe owned by a monarch or a Pharaoh. But chariots of iron. Satan loves to use fear. But the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. The psalmist said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. God wants us to be faithful and not fearful. Abraham walked by faith, and he was a friend of God. Here, they were afraid. It was difficult. How do we handle it when we're fearful about something? Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. I have no doubt that there's some here today who are fearful regarding financial responsibilities. I, I stopped to talk to a young man when I walked in the back of the auditorium whose dad is fighting cancer right now. And I've written his dad, I prayed for him, and he said, how's your dad doing right now? Man, I'll tell you what, you hear a word like cancer, fearful. Difficult situation. But God's strength is sufficient. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Friends, you can't keep the Canaanites in and expect total victory. God said to drive them out. So the first thing we see, there was an incomplete obedience. But secondly, this morning... This is unusual, just two points this morning. We see that there was an attitude of pride. It's an amazing how that the sons and men of Manasseh, while disobeying the command of God, thought they deserved more. It's just, it's remarkable to me. How does this happen? Verse 14 says, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit? Listen now. Seeing I am a great people. You know what the Bible says, friends? In and of ourselves there dwells no good thing. James chapter 1 says, Every good and perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable is through the shadow of turning. We are just sinners saved by grace. That's what we are. It's, it's hard even to say this, but we all deserve to go to hell. It's but for the grace of God. But Manasseh said, I'm a great people. And we tend to think sometimes, I have a great talent. 
Listen to these people sing. Listen to play the piano. Boy, I wish I could do that. I can't do that. But every gift you have is a gift from God. I like the words of doxology. You praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. It's all from God. Pride is a horrible thing. And God hates pride. These six things that the Lord hates, a seven abomination. First thing he lists, a proud look. Lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. The Bible says, conversely, a humble, a humble contrite heart. I will not despise, saith the Lord. Back in the 1970s, there was a man by the name of G. Gordon Liddy. He was a, in recent years, a popular conservative talk show host. His biography is a book entitled Will. And he was a, just an unusual guy. He had a fear of rats. He was a phobia about rats. And so he decided, I'm going to get over that fear. And he trapped the biggest rat he could find. He roasted it and ate it. Who does that? He was afraid of lightning. He said, I want to get over this fear. He waited until a lightning storm came. He climbed up the tallest tree he could be, strapped himself there to the lightning storm to get over that fear. It's lucky he didn't kill him. Moron. <laughs> he was an advisor to President Nixon. <laughs> that didn't work out too well either. But in his book, G. Gordon Liddy said this, and I quote, I have found within myself all I need and all I ever shall need. I am a man of great faith, but my faith is in G. Gordon Liddy. I have never failed me. He's lucky God doesn't strike him down. We have to guard against pride. By the way, great people, great Christians don't see themselves that way. The greatest missionary church planner who ever lived was the Apostle Paul. He said this, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm not all there yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are past. I have not attained yet. I haven't apprehended yet. All he did was write 14 books of the New Testament. An amazing life. He says, it's all of God, it's not of me. You know what Paul said about himself? Now think about this. Compare this to G. Gordon Liddy. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. No wonder God used him so greatly. And I believe it's when we humble ourselves and we take ourselves off the throne and put Christ on the throne where only he belongs to be. And we prostrate ourselves and recognize we're just a sinner saved by grace. That God that says, I can use you. Dr. Getch knows this man well. I know him well. There was a man who founded Neighborhood Bible Time by the name of Brother Charles Holmshire. To pray with him was an experience. It was just different. He asked me to speak at, I think, the 50th anniversary of MBT, and it wasn't a recruiting situation. It wasn't going to be a self-striving together material. And I just really, he says, Brother Mark, I want you to come. And I said, I have one request. Can I spend some time praying with you? And here's this man who led a ministry that saw, I believe, hundreds of thousands of children come to Christ and memorized probably millions of verses. But when he prayed, he would lay face down on the ground every time. He'd just lay on the ground. And he'd call out to his father. 
Is it any wonder that God blessed him and used him? Pride will deceive us. Do you remember the story of the Pharisee and the publican? Amazing statement. I thank you, Lord, that I am not like this other man. (laughs) But the rest of that story says about the other man that he left justified. He was proud of his standards, proud of his rules, proud of the things he did. And he was proud. We all have to battle that. Because pride will destroy you. If you were to look up the name of a Civil War general, his name was John Sedgwick. He was loved by numbers of people. They called him Uncle John. Must have been a nice guy. But if you were to Google him today, you will see his last words. Because there was a battle, it was in 1864, near the end of the Civil War. He'd been wounded three times before. That battle was called the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse. And in the Civil War, they would often build something called a parapet, P-A-R-A-P-E-T. This parapet might have been stacks of cotton bales. They put dirt over it. If a bullet hit that, it wouldn't go through. A lot of times it would be wood and logs. They'd stack that up and they could kneel behind that. They would have cover. And John Sedgwick is famous, and you could Google it yourself. I knew the story, but I Googled it to see if it would say anything about it on Google and Wikipedia, and it did. Famous last words. He was walking by the parapet where his whole upper body was totally open. And someone said to General Sedgwick, don't you think that you're walking by the parapet that you ought to duck down? And here were among his famous last words. He said, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. It was at that time the sniper bullet hit him and killed him. Couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. And we say, a little rap music's not going to hurt me. A little rock music's not going to hurt me. Or whatever, or whatever, whatever. And it could have within it the seeds of our destruction. Manasseh was disobedient. Manasseh was proudful. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs 16.18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Manasseh wanted more, but they had not claimed what God had given them to claim. We need to do what we're supposed to do before we ask for more. Oh, I'd like to have an opportunity to do that. Are we doing what we're supposed to do? Did you have your devotions this morning? Did we take time to walk with God and talk with God this morning? We may not understand all the Bible. We may not even understand all the commands of the Bible. But are we obeying the commands that we know to obey? Roommates, be ye kind one to another. Forgiving one another. That should be a theme verse for all roommates in Bible colleges. Because I know that every year you have one roommate that just bothers you. And if you don't have one, then you're probably the one. (laughs) It just happens. I spent four years in dormitories. We want more finances. Are we tithing in what we have? I'll never forget Dr. Getch saying in the early years of college, we needed a bigger gym, obviously. 
The Student Life Center was our dining hall, our gym, and it was just, it just couldn't hold the people. Dr. Getz would say, if we take care of what we have, God might give us something better. I don't think I'd ever heard that before. But I've used it with a lot of things. Are we doing the best we can with the auditorium we have, the classroom we have, the Sunday school class we have? So God would give us a greater opportunity. We want God's will for the future, but are we doing God's will for today? I think anyone would like to see great, great crowds of people saved. But do we have gospel tracts on us today that we could take out and share with someone and say, here's some good news for you. This will tell you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. He that is faithful in little can be counted on to be faithful in much. God told them to get rid of the wood. There was a work to be done. And then he said he would give them another lot. I wonder, are we doing what God wants us to do today? I close with this. There was a great writer, philosopher. His name was George Bernard Shaw. And someone asked him the what-if game, if you will. They said, Mr. Shaw, if you could live your life over again, and be anybody you've known or any person from history, who would you be? And Shaw answered and said this, I would be the man George Bernard Shaw could have been, but never was. I wonder if we would seek to be the Christian God would have us to be that maybe we have not been up to this point in time. God loves us. He gave himself for us. And he wants us to walk with him and work for him. And probably two of the biggest deterrents to that are incomplete obedience and pride.